Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. This is a terribly difficult set of readings to be present with this morning, y'all. As a deacon here at Holy Family, I have the dubious honor of proclaiming scripture passages about weeping and grinding of teeth and declaring it to be the gospel of the Lord, which of course means good news. And Dan, good grief, got to read that harrowing passage from Zephaniah, and he called it the word of the Lord, and we responded, thanks be to God. The, the collect that I thought we were going to read today is the one I just read about blessed Lord who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. We said the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, and we work on meaning what we say here. So the question is, how is this the word of the Lord? How is this good news? So this collect that I read has us pray that God has called all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, for the purpose of hope. So our work is to figure out how to get there. What is it we are to learn? How it is that we are to get to hope? The prayer reminds us of certain verbs. Hear, read, mark, learn, inwardly digest. So I think of ourselves as concentric circles through which the scriptures pass by means of these verbs. So every verb brings the scripture closer to us. Hear, read. Mark, 
learn, inwardly digest, so that we may hope. And as the hope comes, and the hope comes after we let the scriptures in and engage them with our minds and our hearts. So we could read Zephaniah and here in Mark and say, okay, so this is what God is about. This is who God is. If that's the case, let me figure out how to avoid all that scary punishment. So suddenly we are reading in order to locate ourselves on the right side of God's favor and then necessarily locating others on the wrong side. This way of reading, the way to avoid the scary punishment of God is to read the Matthew passage, the gospel, as a list of do's and don'ts. What is the rule I had better not break? So if we read the master as a character representing our God, the goal in the rule book is clear. If we read it this way, to win God's favor, what we really need to do is be productive, to achieve, to accomplish, to participate in the human worth economy which defines us by what we have managed to produce or whom we have managed to impress. But let's take a look at this master who many are so tempted to see as representing our God. First, I think it's important to understand the amount of wealth this master is trying to multiply, even if we have to get a little nerdy with biblical translations. The translation we heard today says the master gave the first servant five valuable coins, and to another servant two, and to another servant one. You may have heard a, another translation that says talents, five talents, two talents, one talent. One talent is an amount of money equal to more than 15 years of wages for a laborer. So it's not just a few coins this master is throwing around, but an extravagant amount of wealth. Wealth not meant to be put to use for the service of others. Wealth that the master simply wants his servants to multiply for his benefit. So then the master berates the third servant for not investing his money with bankers. But y'all, the Bible that we read and the Bible that Jesus read has many prohibitions against charging interest when loaning money to others. The Torah prohibits gathering interest when loaning to other Israelites and when loaning to the poor. Simply not allowed. Throughout the Old Testament, there is an explicit condemnation of the making of money off the vulnerable by collecting interest. The third servant is the one who upholds the Torah. He rejects his master's predatory investment strategies. He says, you harvest grain where you haven't sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. Basically, your wealth is unfairly extracted from the hard work of others. And this truth-telling is what the master condemns the third servant for. Friends, this master sounds to me like an echo of those being condemned by the very passionate and very graphic prophet Zephaniah from our first reading. 
Zephaniah is calling out those who are turning away from God and turning towards exploitative and acquisitive power. Zephaniah envisions a day when those growing fat on the sediment of their wine have to reckon with those whom they trampled to achieve wealth. Instead of harvesting where they haven't sown, they will now be the ones planting vineyards but not drinking the wine. Zephaniah says, their silver and their gold won't be able to deliver them. So here's a funny thought experiment. Imagine if the master in Jesus' parable gave a pile of wealth to the prophet Zephaniah to invest for him. What would Zephaniah do? We heard from the reading Zephaniah's lack of shyness about saying what he thinks about structural inequality, immoral treatment of one another. I imagine if the parable's master offered money to Zephaniah to invest, Zephaniah would would do more than just bury the money. Perhaps he would throw the tables over, angrily scattering coins everywhere, crying out, against the way people take advantage of each other in the very center of God's sacred and love-infused creation. This is, of course, what Jesus did in the temple the same day he told this story, or perhaps a day or two later. The servants who do multiply the master's wealth in the story, they don't share in it. They get a party, and they get more responsibility. Good job. Here's more money to invest so that I can get rich on the dividends. They get praise from the person in power. Well done. Approval. Political capital. And they get locked into the system which requires them to be productive to demonstrate their worth. We are all very familiar with a system in which those who have much get even more, and those who have very little get it taken from them. We know the system which comes from continuing sacrifice of each other on the altar of productivity. But our salvation does not come from productivity or doing enough or approval from others. I wonder what it would look like if when offered the enticing promise of approval and power, we bury it in its grave. What happens when we stop using one another to get to the goal of productivity or approval? What happens when instead of using or stepping over one another, we stop and realize that it is in relationship with one another that we live into the life of Christ? My friends, the kingdom of heaven is like the third servant who rejects this worldly system altogether. He wants no part in it. He buries it. His concern is with relationship, with people as valuable because of their own being and not because they are a means for multiplying wealth. And he does not earn that approval, wealth, or political capital that his counterparts did. He is thrown out. He is crucified, dies, and is buried. 
It is in that farthest darkness, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, that we find Christ, who transforms it by participating in it. Christ's life of centering relationship cost him his life. The power that takes everything from those who have little sent him to the farthest darkness. But the power that is the almighty living God raises him to new life, even now, bringing all of creation through weeping into the deep enfolding reality of the joy of the Trinity. find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.